so many notes in my Bible. That scares me every time I do. Take your Bible with me this morning and turn to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. Lord willing, we'll go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse by verse next Sunday. But I wanted to preach a message that I've entitled to you this morning, Seeing God's glory. Seeing God's glory. I, yeah, when, I, when I think about the salvation of sinners, and I think about it in light of this subject that I'm going to deal with this morning, seeing God's glory, because I tell you what, nobody, nobody ever told me these things when I was growing up. I mean, I was in religion all my life, just like most of you were. And I don't think that people, and I've made this statement before, but I want to make it very clear. I don't think that people are devious, and they're out there planning and plotting to send people to hell. They're doing the best that they can based on whatever information they've been given or what they have seen with their natural minds. And nobody ever told me that it is absolutely imperative you got to see God's glory. Anybody ever tell you that? If you hadn't seen the Lord, now, now a lot of religions, when they talk about seeing the Lord, they're talking about literally, physically seeing the Lord. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking, what, I'm talking about seeing how God is just to justify the ungodly. See, that's, that's the thing. But every time I think about that, I always think about, I can't, can never get Moses out of my mind. Remember when Moses, in Exodus chapter 33, he was, uh, he, he told the Lord, he said, Lord, if, if you don't go up with us, you know, we're not going. And he, impaired, he, 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 he begged the Lord and pleaded the Lord and implored with the Lord, Lord, if I have found grace in your eyes, show me your glory. And the Lord graciously told him, I'll do this thing you've requested. I'll show you my glory. He said, here's, here's his glory. I will declare my name before you. So whatever God's glory is, it's got something to do with that name. And I know from what, we, and we'll get to it in a minute, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 through 7, makes it very clear that the Holy Spirit, what does He do? He reveals to His people the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, this is an interesting story here in, in Isaiah chapter 6. And like... Like everything revealed in God's Word, this is, this is a vision that Isaiah the prophet had. And it was recorded not only for them, but it was recorded for all of us as well. So we had a tendency, in, when I was raised up in religion, the Old Testament belonged to the Jew, the New Testament belonged to the Christian, and you didn't ever, you could venture over there, but it didn't really have any application to us, kind of. The law applied to us, we didn't apply that to me. But the rest of it, ah, not so much, unless we were going prophetical. You know, we're talking about end-time events. But listen to this. Paul wrote to those at Corinth, Now all these things happened unto them for examples. Go back and read 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and read all those examples. They drank out of the same rock. 
You know, they ate the same bread. They ate the same meat. You know, they wandered together. And that rock that they drank from was what? It was Christ in the Old Testament. And he said all those things happened to us for examples, to teach for our learning. And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he stand take heed lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you but such is common to man. But God is faithful. Hear that? God's faithful. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Isaiah's vision teaches us the reality of salvation for all those chosen by God the Father in everlasting covenant of grace before the foundation of the world. All those that Christ the Son, the second person of the Trinity, redeemed by his obedience unto death at Calvary. And the regeneration and conversion of God the Holy Spirit of all those the Father chose and all those the Son redeemed in each and every successive generation. And it also gives us some insight into what salvation really is, because that's what's important to me. Isn't it to you? I want to know what salvation is. I don't want to just think what it is. I want to know. You've only got one soul. Me too. And so whatever, whatever deals with my eternal destiny, it's important to me personally. We have a tendency to get caught up so much with everybody else, the person sitting next to us or a, a, a spouse or a family member or a friend or somebody we work with, and we should be concerned for the lost. But listen, if we're not ourselves saved, how do we help anybody? What, if, if we're not righteous and holy before God, accepted in the blood, how can we tell anybody else about something? So he gives us some insight into what salvation is as it's set forth by the scriptures. What is it? Here's, here's salvation. It's to see the Lord. Pure and simple. And I hope I can show you that this morning. Now again, I'm not talking about something mystical. I'm not talking about something emotional. And I'm not talking about something physical. I experienced the emotional side of religion three different occasions in my life before the Lord revealed himself to me and in me through the declaration of the truth. Christ said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And when I finally heard the truth, I set free. I went back this week. It's been 36 years since I first heard the gospel preached. And I actually, the other night, I had some thoughts in my mind, and some things had troubled me and puzzled me. And I, I went in there, and I... Went to take a bath, and I carried my phone into the bathroom with me, and I put sermon audio, and I found that sermon by Henry Mahan that he preached in 1976. And I listened to that whole message. While the bath water was cold by the time I got out. Listened to that whole thing again. And I thought, that message changed my life. Changed all our lives. And it did. For the first time, I realized I am free. I'd been in bondage. I was moral. And they, they, I, don't, I think I was a fairly decent husband. I was a good father, I believe. 
I mean, I can try to convince myself of it, but I was good to my kids. I was good to the people that were at the church. They loved me, and I loved them. But it was just a drudgery. It was get up the next morning and pull the lodestone. Never any rest. Always worried, have I done enough? Have I preached enough? Have I changed enough? Have I prayed enough? Have I loved enough? Always something else to do. And then all of a sudden, I heard that message, it is finished. And for the first time in my life, I don't remember the day, I put my head on my pillow, knowing full well, based on God's testimony, that if he took me from this life to the next, that moment, I'd be with him, according to his promise, not what I thought, according to what he's promised me. It's to know this God. I, I can tell you about my wife. I can tell you about my kids. I can tell you about my granddaughter. Why? I know them. Been with her 44 years. I've had my oldest son 42 years. Is that right? My youngest 39. Had my daughter-in-law 11 years, 12 years. <laughs> I had my grandbaby seven years, almost eight. Had a lot of y'all for 30-something years. Some of y'all not so long. We know a lot of things, but Kenny knows about me all the way back to my childhood. Not, not all of it good, and I don't want any of it repeated, Kenny. <laughs> but I can, t I can tell you about you, and I think you can tell people about me because you know me. I can't tell you about a God I don't know, but I can tell you about this one I know, or better, that's known me. See, that's the thing. He's known me. He's loved me. So here's a question that demands, a, demands an answer. Can a person really in this lifetime, can they know they've seen the Lord? Can you know? I can tell you this much. If you've seen the Lord, if you've truly seen him by God-given faith, you know and you understand some, something of what Isaiah is fixing to tell us in this vision he had. Let me state this as, as clearly as I can and as simply as I can. Only those who have seen the Lord as both a just God and a Savior are in reality at this present time right now regenerated and converted. How do I know that? Well, listen, let, me, let me read you a couple of passages. Listen to you. It's not, this isn't, this isn't the preacher making this up. Let's see what God's Word says because it always comes back to thus saith the Lord. Does God make this thing clear about knowing the Lord? Listen to this. He says this. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. But it's written, I hath not seen or ear heard, neither entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath, listen, God hath revealed them unto us. How? By his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now listen to this language. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, which can't know God, but the spirit which is of God, 
that we might know. Listen, why did he give us the Spirit of God? That we might know the things that are freely given us in Christ. How are they given Kenny? Freely. Without any cost. Isaiah put it best in Isaiah 55. Ho, every man that thirsts, let him come to me and buy. How are you going to buy? Without money and without price. You ever go to Walmart and try that? Go in there and load your buggy up and say, I want to take this out without money and without price and see where that lands you at. We know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them, for they are foolishness unto him, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? And he may instruct him. But listen to this. But we have the mind of Christ. How? That's what's been freely given. Now listen to this one. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, one of my favorite passages, we just preached on a few weeks ago, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. He said what? In darkness, let there be light. And what happened? Ten billion years later, light shined forth. No, instantly when God said, let there be light, what was it? That was light. And this same God who spoke light out of darkness, listen to it, he hath shined in our hearts. Didn't leave it up to us. He hath shined in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure, and my God, it is a treasure, is it not? We have it in earthen vessels, clay pots, feeble, frail, easily thrown against the wall and shattered. That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Now look at our text. Look at verse 1. The way he begins this chapter, listen. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Hmm. When did he see God's glory? He says in this vision, he, he caught this vision in the year that King Uzziah died. Now Isaiah was a prophet. I'll give you a little history, historical background. He was a prophet in the southern kingdom of Judea during Uzziah's reign. And if you go back, and I would encourage you to go back and read the story in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, verse 22, it tells us, now the rest of the acts of Uzziah, first and last, did Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, write. And everything I found out about Isaiah and Uzziah, he loved that king. Hear me? He this, this guy was not just his king. He was a man that he greatly loved and admired. And if you go back and you read 2 Chronicles chapter 26, you'll see something about this guy Uzziah. He was a godly king. You hear me? He was a godly king who served God and he served Judea in a great way for many years. He did many great noble things as a king of Judea, but Uzziah's, when he'd when he done all these things, Uzziah and his pride got propped up. And you remember what he did? 
I mean, what use I did? Who's supposed to go into the tabernacle? Who can go in there? Sons Aaron. Right? No, we, we, we know some guys got in trouble burning strange fire before. Not just trouble, they got destroyed, killed for burning strange fire before the Lord. But he took it upon himself as king of, of Israel and he committed a great sin. You know what he, did? he went into the temple. Went into the temple. King, he, I'm going in him. He went into the temple and he burned incense before the Lord by his own hand. You'd think, I mean, think about it. I'm, I'm going, going to the temple to worship, right? The Lord has, in the temple, incense burns all the time inside there. I'm going in there to show my praise and adoration for God. That ain't the way God set it up. I don't care if you are the king of Israel. I don't care if you have been a godly man. You are greatly admired by this man. But he went into that, that temple and the priest, I can't remember how many it was, like, it was like a bunch of them, I mean, it was like 120 of them. They went in there and they drugged that man out. And he became wroth with him. It said, that's the exact word. It said he became filled with wrath toward him. He got angry. And he had that censer in his hand that he had burned in there in that temple and immediately, what did God smite him with? Leprosy began to come down his arm. And that great king, for the rest of his life, you know where he stayed at? He stayed in what was called a several house. And that word several means, it means separation. A great godly king who had served God greatly, he sinned against his God and took upon himself a role that was never intended to be his. King David was even smarter than that. Huh? When Uzziah died, and he stayed there till he died. He never came out of that thing. God never healed him. He stayed out in that separation house, that leprosy camp, for the rest of his life. He still was a king, but he served as a king out in a leprosy colony, separated from everybody else. And when Uzziah died, Isaiah had this vision of God's glory that we're going to look at today. And I think we can safely assume Isaiah was well aware of the circumstances around this man Uzziah and his transgression and the awesome display of God's wrath against any person who would seek to circumvent God's way of salvation through God's appointed substitute, mediator, redeemer, and savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's several lessons I want to show you this morning. Here's the first one. The first truth that we learn from this vision is we learn that all of God's elect are brought to see the Lord. Notice what he says. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Where did he see him? Sitting upon a throne. Isaiah didn't make him Lord. He was Lord himself, was he not? High and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. I know religious people like to make some kind of differentiation between Old Testament saints and New Testament saints. But if we let the scriptures be our guide, now, that's the thing. If we let the Scriptures be our guide and let the Scriptures be their own interpreter, 
Over in John chapter 12, don't have to turn there, I'll read it to you. In John chapter 12, verse 41, the apostle Paul, John declared this vision of Isaiah's to be none other than a vision of the true Christ. How do we know that? Listen to it. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and he spake of him. So what Isaiah saw, what did he see? He saw the same thing you see. Same thing I see. Same thing that all God's elect see in every generation. What did he see? He saw Christ in his mediatory glory is the one Savior, the one mediator, the one representative between God and man, one mighty to save who could lay his hand on God and bring guilty, defiled sinners into his presence based on what he would accomplish. And see, understanding this truth makes it possible for us to understand many scriptures which seemingly appear to contradict each other. You know, the scriptures tell us that no man, now think about this. I've told you, you got to see the Lord or you're not saved. But the scriptures tell me that without exception, listen to this. He said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. Well, preacher, you just told me I got to see the Lord or I'm lost. And God tells us, told Moses, you can't see my face. No man can look on me. Why? This God is holy. This God will know by no means clear the, the guilty. I, Paul told young Timothy, he said, this talking to this God, who, hath, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, which no man hath seen, nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. So God absolutely considered what? You can't look on him. Period. Yet of Moses, it was written of him, the Lord spake with Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friends. Hold it, man, wait. God says, no man can look on me and live. Paul tells Timothy, God dwells in immortal. He's the only one that's immortal, and he dwells in a light into which no man can approach. And yet he talked with Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friends. Appears to contradict, doesn't it? Well, how can we reconcile it? We know, we know this. There's no contradictions in the Word of God. We know that. And so the Apostle John does it in a single verse. Listen to this. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he's declared him. He, he said, remember what he told Philip and him? Show us the Father. He said, Philip, if I've been with you so long, he said, if you've seen me, who have you seen? You've seen the Father. I tell you, nothing can be more plain from the teaching of the Scriptures 
that every physical manifestation from the Old Testament all the way up until when the Lord Jesus Christ came, every physical manifestation God has graciously been pleased to make of himself to his church in every generation, how's he always appeared? In the person of his son. <laughs> Think about that. If it had been God the Father when Moses stepped up that burning bush, what would have happened to him? Who spoke to him out of that bush? Christ. Christ the Lord. We have to always keep in mind what I just quoted to you about Philip. You know, he said, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. How sayest unto me, show me the Father. He says, believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words which I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father which dwelleth in me, he does the work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. If you don't get anything else this morning, you get this. In the person of Christ, we're reconciled. We, 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 we see a reconciled God. Outside of the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, what is God? Paul tells us, in the book of Hebrews, our God outside of Christ. What is he? He is a consuming fire. What a comfort to the heart of all God's children that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. I cannot get that verse out of my head. In Psalm 32, verse 1 and 2, and over in Romans when Paul Quotes from David in Psalm 32. Blessed transgression forgiven. Blessed iniquity covered. Blessed is the... Listen to this. Blessed is the man to whom God will not impute. That word impute means charge. Blessed is the man to whom God will not charge sin. Huh? And then Paul, when he quotes that, goes back to that over in Romans chapter 4, he said, he, he said it this way. Listen to him. Because he changes a couple of words, but it makes it even more clear what God was doing in Christ Jesus. He says this. He says, Even as David also described the blessed of this man unto whom the God imputeth righteousness. Didn't say didn't impute sin. Blessed is the man to whom God imputeth righteousness without works. Saying, blessed are, who, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom God will not impute sin. Listen, he didn't just not impute sin to me. What does he impute to me? What does he charge to me? Righteousness. Who? Mines? No. One done for me. Notice his next word. He said, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. This word Lord is in capital letters. I've told you this in the past, L-O-R-D. And this Lord, which means Jehovah, which Isaiah saw was the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 2. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. With twain he did fly. 
Above that throne in that temple where he saw the Lord high and lifted up, his train filling the temple. There were some seraphims. And there, yeah, one thing about it, when you, when you study for something like this, you find a variety of different commentaries on what these seraphims were. But that word seraphim, it mean, you know what it means? Now, I would have never thought about this. You know what it means? It means fiery serpent. There was a fiery serpent. And it, you want me to tell you where you see that word at? In Numbers chapter 21, verse 6, where God sent fiery serpents among his people. And really, when you think about it, what were those fiery serpents to Israel? They were God's messengers, were they not? Because <laughs> what did they say? We loathe this light bread. Give us what? Meat. And then they loathed the meat. And so what did God give them in response to their loathing the bread and the meat? He gave them fiery serpents. What was their message? Judgment. Judgment. And what I did find, most of the commentators that I read, all of them just about without exception, of any reputation, they, they think that this is figurative language speaking of God's ministers, his preachers in each generation. And if it, it, it is talking about seraphims and it, 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 it's a representation or a type or picture of God's ministers, notice what he says of God's ministers as they go forth to minister. It says that with two wings, what did they do? They covered their faces. Because they, they, I know they're God's messengers because they're fixing to give Isaiah a message. They covered their faces in modesty, seeing what do you think about all every every man that stands to preach the gospel for God. They are less than least of sinners, unworthy to be ministers. I tell you what, I mean, you think about this. I'm standing up here talking to you and telling you that I'm speaking from God's word about this true God. Telling you and me both things that in my own life I tragically have to say that what happens, I come up short. Huh? Which of us in here from the pulpit to the pew can say that you have prayed without ceasing this way? Which of us can say, I think about this, which of us, which one, of, which one in this building or outside of this building can say that we've loved God with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, and all our strength 24 hours a day this week? Well, heck, let's just make it today. How many of us in here, our mind has been totally consumed and caught up from the time that you woke up this morning until you walked in these doors thinking about nothing but him? Pam and I spent most of our morning looking for a, a, a little container that you put a, a casserole dish in that's insulated, and it was misplaced. I spent, I, I'm, I, I tell you, I, I guess it's some kind of problem with my mind. I was, in, I was in every closet. I was under beds. I was under the couch, just occupied with that. And I was coming up here to preach. I should have been in there studying my notes, and I wouldn't be off the rail on this rabbit trail that I'm on right now. But you know, that, that's the thing. Get that, I think about that all the time. 
God's told me that, you know, I remember our Lord, that young man came to him. He said, seeking to tempt our Lord, test our Lord. He said, which is a great commandment? He said, love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. This is the first commandment. Second, like unto it, what? Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two hang the whole law. I failed. And you have too, if we're honest. We've come up short. Like Paul with the chief of sinners. He says, with two wings, what they covered their feet. In other words, God's servants, his messengers, they should always be conscious of their walk, of their conduct, and of their ways, constantly crying, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And with two wings, what did they do? They flew. In other words, in haste, what did they fly to do? To declare the message concerning Christ's glorious person and work to everybody that would hear them. What did they cry? Notice what he says they cried. And one cried unto another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. If there's one thing I will always remember that Henry stressed to me more than anything else, it was the holiness of God. Our God is a many-faceted God. He's a God of love. He's a God of grace. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of wrath. He's a God of infinite justice. But he has one attribute that covers every other attribute, permeates every one of them. You know what it is? It's holiness. God has a love, but it's a holy love. God has a wrath. You and I have wrath that's based on something that's somebody's wrong. God's wrath is a holy wrath, a just wrath. Everything that God does is in agreement with his holiness. But that brings us to the second truth. Isaiah's vision teaches. Look at verse 5. Then said I, when he saw this vision, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Every sinner who by God's grace has been brought to see the Lord's glory in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. They see themselves as they are in light of his holiness. Isaiah himself saw Christ, and what did he cry? Woe is me. I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of unclean people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the Lord. You know, a man can look at others and say, like that. Pharisee in that parable, I thank God that I'm not like other men. And we do that all the time, do we not? At least I, I might be bad, but I'm not as bad as them, right? There's always somebody we can point to. A man can even look at the written law. Paul did, Saul of Tarsus did, and say of himself concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But I tell you what, when a man is exposed to absolute holiness and righteousness in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, he can't cry out but one thing. 
woe is me. But there's more than this. He, he, he saw and declared not only is he an unclean man, who else is unclean? Everybody, without exception, even my mama and my daddy and my grandma and my grandpa and all them old dead preachers and all the people I put so much hope and stock in, in their own character and their conduct, how are they viewed by this God? In light of this righteousness, saw in this person the Lord Jesus Christ. They're unclean. I don't know who wrote it, but what he wrote concerning these verses is true. He said, Isaiah declares for us the twofold cry, the word of the gospel in all those who have seen the Lord. Now listen, he quotes from Isaiah 40. I love this verse. The voice said, cry, and he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. And all the goodliness thereof is as the fire of the field. We have such a high opinion of ourselves, don't we? And yet God says all flesh, every bit of it, what it, it's like grass. You looked at your grass lately? Pam and I was out in the front yard yesterday. Our grass is all dead. ground dried up. Ain't had no rain. I quit watering it, and it's all died. And he says that every man and woman living, they're just like that grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. O Zion that bringest good tidings, get thee up into the high mountains, O Jerusalem that bringest good tidings. Lift up thy voice with strength, lift it up. Be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Ju Ju Judah, here's what he declared, Behold your God. Then the man went on and said this, the sinfulness of sin, the inability of the flesh, the need of sovereign mercy are only discovered in the light of God's holiness. Job experienced it as well and wrote, I have heard of thee with the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore, when we see him, not when I've just heard about it, but when I see him, I abhor myself. And I repent in sackcloth and ashes. And I tell you, it's the same with every child of God. All of us. But here's the third truth we learn from this. All those God, all those to whom God is pleased to reveal himself in the person of his son, those he brings to see their own depravity and hopelessness, hopelessness, God reveals to those alone his mercy and his grace. Look at verse 6 and 7. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips. Thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. All those God, when you, grace is, is for one group of people. The Lord Jesus Christ, who did he die for? He died for the ungodly. Abraham believed on him who justifies, who declares righteous, the ungodly. And it's important that you keep the, this language in perspective. Isaiah said <clears throat> he didn't go to these seraphims seeking forgiveness. What's he sitting there crying out? I'm undone. I'm an unclean man among unclean people. 
But see, what we see here is that these servants, these fiery serpents, which typify God's ministers, what do they do? They go to whom God sends them to. Philip was in Jerusalem, and the gospel was expanded, and there was a great revival in, in Jerusalem, and God told him, go where? Go out into the desert. Leave this place, go out into the desert. And he went out into the desert because where was it? what was out in that desert? One of God's elect, an eunuch, an Ethiopian eunuch. It's just so important to keep in mind. God's servants don't come up with their own ideas or with their own corrupt human reasonings. That seraphim, what did he do? He took a live coal. And where did he take it? He took it off that altar of fire. What did all that altar of fire symbolize? What, what it, all that involved in that worship and ceremony and sacrifice, what was that talking about? Talking about Christ. That altar, the fire from which that live coal was taken is the sacrifice of Christ which that Passover lamb typified or foreshadowed. And the fires of God's justice and His holiness fell on our substitute which enabled God to be both a just God and a Savior to the object of His love. Isaiah said that that fair seraphim, he took that live coal off the altar and what did he do? He laid it on his lips. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips. Laid it on his lips. And what happened? He told him, thine iniquity taken away. Your sins purged. Think what that meant to Isaiah. What it means to you and me. All God's elect in every generation. To know that your sins are reconciled, are propitiated, are atoned for, and completely forgiven. I'm not just talking about the sins before you rested in Christ. I'm talking about all of them. Every sin that you have ever committed and will ever commit, what were they? Where were they at? See, now they didn't tell you that in religion, did they? Oh, he died for them before, but what do you got to do? You got to get on the straight and narrow. You should, we should be straight and narrow. Don't go out of here and say, well, that preacher said we can live like we want to. That ain't what I said. We should be the most moral, kind, compassionate, upright, loving men and women on this planet. That's our responsibility out of grace and gratitude to him who loved us and gave himself for us. But we dare not look to any or all of that. Where do we look? We look to the one that is represented in these live coal that was taken off that altar that purged his sin. Think about it. God says to you and me, I will remember your sins and your iniquities no more. They're not coming up. And anybody that tells you otherwise is lying on God. Not only are they lying on God, they're demeaning the person and work of Christ. Because they're saying Christ didn't actually do enough. Some of it's still on you. And I'm telling you, if any of it's on you, you're going to hell. That's long and short of it. It better be on him in its totality. And by God-given faith, I rest in him when things are good and when things are, are bad and upside down. You know what I do? I still rest in him. When I've sinned, when David sinned grievously. Remember when Nathan came to him and he told him that story and... 
David got enraged, and Nathan looked at him, pointed that long bony finger at him, and said, David, you are the man. And David became devastated. But Nathan, that old man that told him, you the man, told him also, the Lord hath put away your sin. Before we ever asked for anything, before we ever repented, the Lord put away your sin. Where did he put them away? In the person of Christ. David stated it this, mercy and truth are met together, righteousness and peace kissed each other. Where? In Christ. It's the only place they can come together. Oh, that's eternal life. This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, in Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. But one last thing. Look at verse 8, and we'll quit. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. Listen to me. Only those whose lips have been touched with a live coal off the altar of God can and will go forth with the gospel message. Literally the good news of an accomplished redemption at Calvary. I started with this and I'll end with this. You can't and you won't tell others about a Christ you do not know. It's impossible. But all those who've been taught of God, that's why I read that in Isaiah and over in John chapter 6, all those who've been taught of God by the Holy Spirit, they've been taught the gospel message of substitution and satisfaction through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what they do? They go forth with that message gladly, freely, without compromise, willing to talk to and share that message with anybody that's willing to hear. Do you have ears this morning? Hear the voice of the Lord. In closing, I encourage you to examine your own heart and your own confession in light of this glorious vision this prophet Isaiah saw. And if you realize that you hadn't seen the face of the Lord, in his redemptive glory. You know what you should do? Flee to him. Flee from the wrath to come. Look to Christ, his blood, his righteousness, his accomplished work as your only hope and cause of salvation. I hope and pray that the Lord will bless that to your heart, to your mind, and to your understanding. Let me stop this recording.